1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek comic book review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 33 for February 24th, 2011.
0: Yeah, this is number 10 of our post-Star Trek The Motion Picture series. Romp? Romp. romp. Number 10? Oh yeah, romp, yeah. That's a good word. Exactly. Yep. And actually, if you look at the the timeline, we're doing stories from 1982. You know, Star Trek two came out in 1982, so... We're actually coming up to the end of the motion picture era, so soon it'll be the post-Wrath of Khan era. Ah, Yes, a fine film. A better yep. film. Yep, okay. and better costumes.
1: And better costumes. The best costumes. You, uh, one of your favorites, anyway.
0: Yeah, but since we've been dealing with this era so long, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean 10 weeks now, yeah. these costumes have actually grown on me
1: yeah although one thing that's always going to be difficult for me is how the bottoms of the shirts are always sticking out kind of like a, a dress shirt you know, right. it's kinda it's kind of lower in the middle and stuff. I mean it looks like nobody's tucking their shirt in
0: yeah it, well, it looks like you're know, like a really long like polo shirt with a belt on the outside, so kind of like a little skirt. Maybe kinda. these are those little mini skirts that the dudes were wearing in Star Trek the Next generation
1: ooh. I wasn't crazy about those. Yeah, did They're you so, the back... dress uniforms?
0: No, no, no. The uh, did you ever go back and rewatch the the encounter at Farpoint? Oh, to see somebody see... In a kilt Well, no. You see men in min... little miniskirts that Counselor Troy was wearing.
1: <laughs> no, I have not gone back to that.
0: Uh, no, we no, we've talked about it before, that. and yes. you said you didn't remember that. I, I, I didn't remember that. So gone back
1: and looked. I have not gone back to look, but that that would be a reason for me to go back to that one. Because that is. Is that is a landmark episode, uh, although I will not say it was one of uh, my favorite Next Generation episodes. That is a landmark.
0: Yeah, of course. It launched a whole new franchise of Star Trek. Exactly. And it, and an excellent franchise it was. It proved that you did not need Spock and McCoy to make a good Star Trek. Correct.
1: And quite frankly, from a captain's standpoint, even though Kirk will always have a, a great place in my heroic, adventurous heart... I am a Picard fan yes I said it (gasps) wow and I might have said that before back when we were going through next gen but I think it's appropriate to say
0: yeah uh, well yeah it's appropriate to say while we're trying to review a Kirk story good job (laughs) exactly
1: (laughs) a whole series of Kirk stories which will continue to be on for the foreseeable future
0: yeah we're getting towards the end okay Sounds the good. the comic strips will start getting a little shorter, so we can start doing three a week again. Just these last few weeks, the comic strip stories are so long. Yeah, and and I, I and
1: at least so far this this one today is the longest that I recall reading.
0: Actually, I think last week's was a little longer, but was it? Yeah, but not
1: by much. Yeah. Uh, now the comic strip story, I kind of like. I, I think it's pretty good, but it is long. It is long, and unfortunately, I will be reviewing that one. That's right. All of our many fans can listen to your lilting tone as you go over uh, quite a long story.
0: Yeah, I'll try to keep it
1: uh, short. Okay, It's Just actually better it. that you do it, because I have a hard time cutting things down. Yep. Speaking of which, shall S- I start? Yes,
0: please. Get us started.
1: Excellent. So, I'm going to do Marvel's Star Trek, issue number 11 title is like a woman's scorn published date february 1981 creative team is writer martin pasco artists are joe brazowski and tom palmer colors carl gafford letterer joe rosen editor lois jones or louise jones editor-in-chief jim shooter cover shows a huge snake in space with a head more like a dragon, with many sharp teeth. It is so large that its body is wrapped around the Enterprise. An insert orange and blue circle to the left of the trapped Enterprise shows Kirk and Spock in a state of agitation and concerned. Spock says the monster does not exist, but Kirk asks, Then what is destroying the Enterprise, Mr. Pants?" Okay, so that last part I added. added doesn't actually say smarty pants. The inside cover shows a shiny planetary surface with huge crystals coming out of it, and a Starfleet landing party in great distress. Their skin is green and deformed, and they have been trapped on the surface exposed to barethold radiation for two days. The closest man is making his last log entry into a tricorder, saying he expects to be dead of radiation poisoning in four hours. The title of the tome is at the bottom in red capitalized font, like a woman scorned. The story opens with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and other officers in an enterprise briefing room. They are watching excerpts from Captain Ryan of the USS Lafayette's last log from the surface of Andronicus, where he and his landing party died, unfortunately. Their mission is to remove Carl Wentworth and his followers from their private clinic on that same planet. The transparent neutronium shielding that is protecting their their habitation is leaking. Wentworth is no ordinary psychologist, though, and has almost a cult on the planet that call themselves the Non-Apologists Movement. Their evacuation to Starbase 28 is likely to be a diplomatic challenge. They beam down to the office of Dr. Wentworth, where, to Scotty's great discomfort, they meet Wentworth's assistant, the lovely Andrea Manning, who Scotty apparently knows quite well. The story moves forward to after the evacuation, and the Enterprise's is en route to Starbase 28. On the bridge, Spock is telling Kirk that Mr. Scott's efficiency has taken a nosedive and is probably distracted by Ms. Manning's presence on the ship. Scotty is not the only one distracted, since when Dr. Wentworth was on the bridge, he was trying to tell O'Hara she should not take orders from Kirk. Annoyed, O'Hara politely puts up with his lame recruiting pitch to her. Suddenly the intruder alert sounds in Engineering Deck 3. Chekov is on it, and Kirk and Spock head down there from the bridge. The intruder is an impossible-looking sea hag... From ancient Earth lore, a la Army of the Dead. Yo, she-bitch. Let's go. Yeah, Army of Darkness. Gotta love that movie. And she's after Scotty. Security tries to stun it, but the aberration is able to take the shots, increase the power, and turn the phaser fire back at one of the security men, who disintegrates. Kirk and Spock arrive on the scene to witness the kill. Kirk tells the second redshirt to back off when the security man's phaser starts to grow in size to the point that it can't be used. The hag advances on Scotty when Kirk and Spock's attacks are easily shrugged off by the intruder's apparent black magic powers. Before he goes down, Spock attempts to give her the old Vulcan neck pinch and is unsuccessful because she is incorporeal. Luckily, after the repeated attacks, the hag disappears as mysteriously as she appeared. Later in sickbay, McCoy briefs Kirk and Spock on the condition of Scotty, who is laying unconscious on an examination table. McCoy says the thing scared Mr. Scott half to death. Spock says that must have been its intent, since it could have killed Scotty, but did not. The ship's sensors read energy where the hag was, and nothing more. Scotty comes to and says in a weak voice, Black Anis Black Anis. I am very careful with my pronunciation on that one. Spock looks it up in the linguistic banks. Elsewhere on the ship, Dr. Wentworth, looking like a prophet in robes, white beard and long hair, is talking to a group of crewmen. He asked them why they let Kirk and Starfleet tell them what to do. Why they live such structured lives when they could be doing what they want and living their own lives. They say that they have not had shore leave in a long time, but they knew that when they signed up before they came onto the Enterprise, and that duty is an important part of their lives. Wentworth is successful in making Ohura and Sulu question the status quo, and that they will... Go to Drexler 2, which is very close to Starbase 28. Wentworth has some superhuman means of persuasion to accomplish that so quickly with bridge officers. Dr. Chapel talks to Andrea Manning, who is drinking Saurian brandy in the middle of the day. She asks Manning to talk to Scotty to give him moral support. Manning angrily tells Dr. Chapel to mind her own business about the drinks, and that she loves Scotty deeply, but all he loves is technology and not people. She tells Christine to tell Scotty to go to the devil. She is indeed a selfish woman who does what she wants for her own good, without much regard to others, especially Scotty. Perhaps she is a woman with scorn. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy discuss the meaning of the name Black Anis. It apparently is a boogeyman-like character from Scottish folklore that eats children alive. Kirk returns to the bridge, where he discovers that Sulu and Uhura change the ship's course to the Drexler system, rather than Starbase 28. Kirk has to call security to put them under arrest when Sulu refuses to change course. In sickbay, the now-conscious Scotty says he never heard of Black anise. McCoy tells him he kept saying the name and they offer to play back the recordings, when suddenly Scotty gets a look of horror on his face. A huge hawk, called a Dairich, also from Scottish folklore, attacks the three. This time, it is physically attacking McCoy and Mr. Spock, while Scotty cowers in horror. A crewman tries to use his phaser on it, and again the beam has no effect on it, and is eventually turned back on the crewman. Kirk enters sickbay... While it is clawing at Scotty's back, he attacks it from behind and appears to be effectively wrestling it to the ground. At the same time as the battle is waging, Andrea Manning is explaining to Dr. Chapel why she hates Scotty so. He told her there was no place in his life for a woman, even the other women Scotty was with, but none of them liked him, loved him, like she did. Suddenly, she drops her drink and falls to the ground unconscious. At the same moment, the die reach disappears. Manning is restrained in sick bay while McCoy, Kirk, and the rest conjecture on how she could be manifesting these creatures that are attacking Mr. Scott. Chekov calls Kirk and tells of mass reports of insubordination from all over the ship. Contact is lost with Chekov as Doctor Wentworth is holding a phaser on him. The good doctor orders a heading change back to Drexler Two or Chekhov, will die. The bridge crew complies. Wentworth, in grand evil villain tradition, tells Chekhov and the rest of the crew all about his learning of Andronican mind-direction techniques. No doubt from a passing Jedi. Also that his assistant, Andrea, has learned another Andronican psi discipline that allows her to turn energy into the appearance of solid matter. They will use their powers and the newly acquired Enterprise to end the enslavement of the galaxy by the Federation and other dictatorial political entities. While Dr. Wentworth goes on and on with all this, Chekov discreetly reopens the channel to sickbay, so Kirk and company can enjoy the Doctor's performance. Kirk hears enough to confirm that Manning is creating these creatures, However, they conclude that the dreams that are providing the energy she is using to create the creatures is actually coming from Scotty's own mind. Spock proceeds to use the Vulcan Mind Touch to suppress those memories, and thereby cut off power supply for Manning's psi Power. Kirk proceeds to the bridge to take down Dr. Wentworth. Kirk enters the bridge, where he and Wentworth fire phasers at each other, but surprisingly can't hit each other, and don't hit any sensitive bridge controls with their misses. Surprise! Wentworth starts in on Kirk with the Jedi mind trick. It appears to work, and Kirk drops his phaser. In sickbay, Spock completes the mind touch, and McCoy shoots Scotty up with tranquilizer, so they think they have cut off Manning's power supply. But when she awakens and gets really pissed about being anywhere near Scotty, the ship rocks violently. You guessed it, the Loch Ness Monster is outside the ship, locking itself onto the Enterprise just like on the issue cover. The jolts against the ship snap Kirk out of Wentworth's trance. Kirk is back to himself and kicks the snot out of Wentworth. Huzzah! McCoy sedates Manning, and Nessie disappears. Dr. Wentworth and Manning are dropped off at Starbase 28 and will be remanded to a reha- rehabilitation facility. Read, lobotomy, lobotomy. On the bridge, the Trace Amigos discuss how Manning did not get the image of the Loch Ness Monster out of Scotty's brain, but actually from Scott's mind, where the image was fresh after being removed from Scotty's mind. McCoy comments about how that error makes Spock seem more human. Spock says, in that case, he will be careful never to make a mistake again. Hilarity ensues.
0: The end. Now you said that that was, that, that image came from Spock's mind? Yes. Okay, I thought you said Scott threw me there uh,
1: for a No. Okay, so on the bridge, yeah, so he got the image of the Loch Ness monster out of, oh I'm sorry, I did say that. <laughs> My mistake. He got it out of Spock's brain right
0: so anyways uh, I liked it I guess I, I thought it was
1: okay uh, it's certainly not one of Marvel's better issues but I mean it, I, it was it was good but any any issue that has to re- rely on like clunky clunky gimmicks like sea hags and the Loch Ness monster to keep things equal, you know interesting uh, I think shows a lack of effort by the writers yeah uh, what, I mean, what... it's, it's like it's like an easy way out instead of some more effort to create plausible storylines
0: well when the sea hag first showed up I thought maybe it was going to tie back into issue number 4 and 5 where <laughs> we had the uh, horror movie horror movies yeah. coming to life yeah that, that's another weak one but uh, I did like seeing that Scotty had himself some uh, girly friends I completely agree that, that is my second comment also but back to your first comment, you know this mo this 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 story is a lot like Star Trek V. I mean, you had a profit type <laughs> oh, guy showing up, and he's yeah. able to very easily convert all these bridge crewmen that have been mm-hmm. with Kirk for all these years, yep. and he's able to turn them against the captain. Uh, good point. By really... planting things in their mind and things like that. So Very good. That, that's I what I've seen that. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking when I was reading this. I was like, did Shatner read this? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny how uh, how we, we
1: we sometimes maybe see some storylines in the movies that came from earlier comics, maybe. Who knows?
0: Right. So but anyways. So yeah, girlfriends for Scotty, that was good. Yeah, it was very good. I mean,
1: it's, he spent so much time in engineering, you kind of wonder. However, um, in that
0: alternate dimension, in that IDW issue, he was married. Right, and in the Gold Key, it always talked about how I'm having girlfriends on Jupiter 5 and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a scotty-wacky, he is. Yeah, he is. And, of course, you know
1: who he ends up with towards the end of the, the movie series. Ahura.
0: Darn right. Well, that was only in Star Trek V. Well, yeah. Okay. I th- they had a romance going there, man. Did they?
1: I th- I think so. I don't know. I, I I would like to think that they retired together, but as we found out, the next gen, he Scotty eventually gets trapped in a pattern buffer for a long time, doesn't he?
0: That's right. He does, and Ahura becomes uh, head of Starfleet Intelligence or something like that. Oh, really? What? Was was that like in a novel or something? Yeah, in the in the uh, the Vulcan Soul trilogy, which is based like right after Nemesis or right before Nemesis, Uh is in it, and she is um, head of Starfleet Intelligence. Wow, I boy, I didn't see that coming. Well, the wow part to me was like she's still working. It's been at uh, least eighty <laughs> years since Star Trek Generations, and you're still working. That's yeah. Maybe her four hundred one k went to you know. It's up been or
1: eighty. It's been eighty years. Oh oh. By the time Star. By the time generations came along, it's been eighty years that she's been working.
0: Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Right. Okay. I got between you. Kirk's era and and Picard's era, it was about eighty years. Sure. Right. Right. So she's still working at, in Starfleet, eight, you know, for eighty years after the movies. Uh, her era of movies is over. Nah. Which just seems like a really long time to be working. <laughs> so I figure there was some sort yeah. of stock market bubble and her four oh one K went away and she just well, had to keep working.
1: Well not only that you said eighty you said eighty years after the end of the movies?
0: Yeah, that's not counting all the time she worked. I mean before. she was
1: really old. <laughs> I, know. I mean at the end of the movie she was old. <laughs> I know. What was she like 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 sixty or something? I mean I don't yeah, know. So Fifty fifties, middle fifties at least?
0: Yeah, so know. she's been working for a hundred over a hundred years. Oh my god. Well how do they explain that? They don't. Ah. Oh, lack of effort. Dude. I mean at least, you know, when, when McCoy showed up in next generation timeline, he was a very, very old man. Oh man. He he was as old as dirt. Which Ahura would be just as old. Uh yeah. I mean, well, Scotty got away with it cuz he was in the pattern buffer, but exactly. All the rest of them should look that that wizened. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Anyways.
1: That. So, um I definitely thought the Andronican and mind direction trick was amazing like the Jedi mind manipulation on Star Wars.
0: It I don't know. was it was. Yeah, I thought you were going to play the little sound bit of Obi-Wan Kenobi. These are not the droids you are looking for. <laughs> you will follow me to Raxus Prime or whatever it was that uh, Cybok was, was telling him Exactly Well you you don't mind that I played the little
1: clip did you Oh no I thought it was quite or funny Army of Doctor- Oh good 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 because here's another one
0: These aren't the droids you're looking for <laughs> Nice
1: <laughs> Sweet Sweet uh, Yeah and of course you know, Star Wars did come out before this issue was written but I got to say, mind control, I mean, that's been a staple of science fiction for many years. So, oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: You know. Can't blame it all on uh, ripping off Star Wars. No, not at all. And, and the crystal planet that the uh, the guys are at doesn't look anything like Krypton.
1: Ah, good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> but again... It, it it looks like the Fortress of Solitude.
0: It looks just like it. But yeah. again, crystal planets is not... new It wasn't unique to... Superman so no again but uh, we need to talk about this the uh, the sea hag a little bit yeah <laughs> the, the black annis okay. annis watch it which is also referred to as black Agnes Agnes? yeah and uh in this book not in this book but in in Scottish mythology
1: oh hmm, interesting okay
0: yeah she's a uh, I always thought of her as more like a. um, I don't know if you're familiar with the character Lilith, which some people believed was the first. Uh, Frazier. Frazier's girlfriend. Well, she's named after that, but she's. Oh okay. Lilith was Adam's first wife, uh, and then but she wasn't subservient to man, so uh, God got rid of her and created Eve. Ooh, really? Yeah. Wow, how appropriate. So the Lilith character, I mean, she's still referenced today. I mean, she's like the little mascot for women's lib and things like that. Uh-huh. But but in later uh, mythology might be the bad, maybe the wrong term, but in, in lore, she then started, you know, uh, she was responsible for children dying and their sleep and things like that. So she became like this devourer of, of, of children and things like that. So this Black Agnes, I always thought of more that char- that type of character, ah. which is not how she's depicted here. Yeah.
1: She's a definite sea hag.
0: And I really don't understand how she made the phaser turn into a gigantic phaser that's so big that it crushes the poor guy holding it.
1: it, it it's just another example of some kind of what gimmick? I mean, like, what, what? What What do you... You need to punch up the story right here? So let's see something we've never seen before, a a, a, a a, growing phaser. It's like... It's,
0: yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, she already had the power of, you know, taking the, the, the phaser blast and, and reflecting it to the person that was shooting it. Yeah. And she's talking about how her steel hands can rip through the ship and could easily rip through a person. I don't know why they had to resort to the kind of gimmicky... Oh, the phaser's gigantic, and it crushes me to death. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, and not only that. At the beginning, I thought, okay, so it's incorporeal. Okay, so so Spock can't give it a neck pinch. So and and you don't actually see it physically hurting anyone. You you, you see it at first with the phasers
0: hitting it. Now before and then that, it you be her, able to. Before that, you see her taking a, a swipe at somebody, and he says. Who are you? Ugh! And it shows her hand like going through his neck or arm or whatever. Oh, I don't remember that. And Scotty's there. Keep away from me. Uh,
1: okay, so okay, so there, ruined my point. But <laughs> the thing is, I mean, at least the beginning with her, it seems more like, um, okay, it's incorporeal. I mean, they can't hurt it, and it can't directly hurt it, but it's, it's directing back phaser fire and things uh, to be able to get rid of people. Uh, but then the phaser starts getting huge, um, and then later on when the, uh, when the huge hawk um, comes in, it's like this thing is like just ripping people up. And then Kirk is able to tackle the thing. He's able to fight the thing. So it's like these different creatures that are being uh, dreamt up out of Manning's head, or using her power any, anyway out of Scotty's head, uh, it, it's just not consistent.
0: Right. I agree. And, I mean, it didn't say, but I assumed she knew Scotty while he was on Earth. So that, to me, kind of lent that maybe she's Scottish, too. So why did she need him to dream up this stuff if she was from Earth and she may have already been familiar with these stories?
1: Well, you know, that's the first thing I was thinking, because if these are from Scottish folklore, I was thinking, oh, well, they must know each other from Earth and she must be Scottish, too. But then as the story went on, and we found out that it came out of Scotty's head, well, she doesn't have to be from Earth.
0: She doesn't have to know jack squat about uh, Scottish folklore. It's all
1: coming out of his head.
0: But she's not Starfleet, so when did he and her get hooked up? Because I always kind of think that Scotty's been out on on these ships since as soon as he got out of Starfleet uh, Academy. Well,
1: who who was the girlfriend on, uh, what, Saturn? Jupiter 5? Jupiter 5, there you go, Jupiter 5. Yeah, I mean, Scotty's been away from Earth a while, I have the impression. So, this seems like a little bit more recent a sting.
0: So you think uh, this was just a, a possessive fling type thing that he had on shore leave some, at some point? It was shore leave, or maybe he was stationed uh, someplace before the Enterprise,
1: more stable. I mean, they, they, they don't go and explain it. But it sounds like she's been around long enough to know that Scotty's gotten together with these at least two other girls that she mentions. It's like, well, you know, I mean, Scotty may be a dog, uh, but, you know, he doesn't seem to get around that much. So he must have been someplace stable for a while. And it didn't necessarily have to be Earth, but I guess it could have been.
0: You're right. I just, when I was reading it, I was thinking more of she knew him as a child, and that's how she knew of all the other girlfriends he had as they were growing up. You know, maybe college or whatever. No, I might think. But no, you're right. I I might have just, it it doesn't say.
1: Yeah. Uh, I will say one thing about her, though. I don't know where she's from, but... She's got a nice little negligee on. That little yellow dress she's got on? It's like, whoa!
0: Yeah, it's it's barely covering her, uh, her lower air, area when she's sitting down. So fortunately, when she's standing up, it never shows her from the waist down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's covering anything. Well, not
1: very well. I mean, later on, there is a scene. I think it's when she's getting ready to uh, faint or something. Where... This thing looks kind of see-through. Oh I, I yeah, can almost, I can almost see her little panties or something uh, through the uh, translucence of the uh, of the trollop dress.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can.
1: Yeah, so it's like, ooh, wow. They really drew her. Um, hmm. So she she's a drinker, obviously. She dresses like a trollop. Again, that's why I thought she was Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> or or is that Irish? No, but I The scotch know.
0: do make scotch. Uh, we'll, I don't know. we'll delete that part out. Just Scotty's always drinking, so I just kind of thought well, that's why, what they were. He likes deleting.
1: drinking, but I don't know if he's always drinking. Well,
0: I mean, every time yeah. you, it's been several comic book stories where on his af, uh, after hours oh. he's building, <laughs> you know, a, still. a distill, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Anyways.
1: Okay, so towards the end when Wentworth holds the phaser on Chekhov. And threatens to remove his head From his body And then he goes ahead and discloses his his evil plans And he's actually got His back to check off And yeah okay so what does he do You know he he turns on the the comm channel So that Kirk can hear about it It's like okay I know Kirk has to be the hero here And take him down But it's like If some guy threatens to kill me And he's like waving his hands in the air Looking the other way I'm going to jump him I don't know I mean, especially if I'm the security officer. I mean, what would Worf do? Worf would knock his head off. True. I think uh, Chekhov was just not quite aggressive enough for the role of security chief.
0: Hmm. Well, that's probably why he gets demoted by the time Star Trek Five comes around. <laughs>
1: Good point. Good point.
0: No. I... Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's fine. It's it's, it's all good. I mean, you know, Kirk, I mean, if if Chekhov did that, then it would ruin Kirk being able to do it, so that's fine.
0: Yeah, I I did kind of like how the Jedi power or whatever that Wentworth Uh uses on Kirk was that, you know, he's paralyzing him with doubt or whatever or sense of duty. Not really doubt, but because Kirk obviously does have a, a, a large sense of duty that he needs to do everything. Sure. So I did kind of like that, that 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 was Kirk's weakness is that he tries to do too much and Wentworth was able to exploit it.
1: Right. I also like the fact that he was in a trance. I mean I figured maybe Kirk was faking it but he was in a trance and even though it was weak I thought that they would conjure the Loch Ness monster big enough to wrap himself around the entire Enterprise and, oh, by the way, live in space. Um, At least Nessie being out there shook the ship enough to snap him out of his trance. So I did kind of like that bit of it.
0: Yeah, and this came out before... shortly before Empire Strikes Back, Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But... I thought that Loch Ness monster looked a lot like the space slug in Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> that lived in the asteroid. Right. Uh, yeah, he does kind of
1: because he's got a very rounded, like rounded face, uh, muzzle, whatever. Right.
0: Big teeth. Yeah. Uh, any that's all I have for this one. Do you have anything else?
1: No, that's it. That's all I got. Not for this one.
0: All right. So you want to jump straight into the twelfth comic book? Uh, Strip,
1: Comic strip, yes. Not a comic I book love strip, that. the
0: comic strip. Yeah, so this one is called The Wristwatch Plantation. Very odd name. Yeah, and I'll ask you later what that's supposed to mean. I didn't look it up. I get it, even though you read it. <laughs> even though we both read it. Right. Yeah. But I don't know if that's a reference to something. It, it must be some kind of literary reference or right, something. Right, that's what I figured, but I did not look it up, so my bad. All right, so this story was published from uh, March 1st, 1982 to July 17th, 1982. The credits are the writer was Charmin Devano and Larry Niven. So Larry Niven is a established Star Trek uh, author or writer. He's written um, a couple of episodes of the animated series. Oh, really? So, wow. Uh, yeah, so we'll talk more about him later, because I have some Yeah, and I look forward to it, because he's one of my favorite authors, but
1: from his novels. Oh, really? Uh, I, didn't re- I didn't realize he wrote, uh... I mean, assuming this is the same Larry Niven, I guess it's possible there's more than one, I'm, but... I'm pretty sure not.
0: it is him, because he is a, uh, a science fiction writer.
1: Okay. Yeah, he's, uh... The boat in God's Eye... Uh, Lucifer's Hammer, uh, the Ringworld series. I mean, he's a big-time uh, uh, sci-fi heavyweight. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. Yeah.
0: All right, and the artist is Ron Harris. So, again, this is a little long, so I apologize in advance. So, here we go. First, we get a brief recap about Lyra, Lyra's story from the previous story about her becoming cybernetic and trying to live without the computer that was controlling them. And we get a little bit about Lieutenant Latham, her injuries and things like that from the previous story. So then we jump into the story. So Kirk and Scotty are having a uh, confusing conversation, which we'll talk about later, when the Enterprise is ordered to Starbase 18 immediately. So they got to drop everything and go. So once they're there, they're giving some VIP passengers from the planet BBBBQ. These little guys are called Beaks, but uh, I will always just call them BBBBQ. All right, so uh, these little passengers come aboard, and they basically have free reign over everything. And they're supposed to be heading towards the planet Mimit, where they're going to check on a colony of... BBQians that was lost 15 years ago. While they're on board, like I said, they have free reign over everything, and this is causing some distress to the other crew members. They're upset enough that they're having to be sent to sick bay for mandatory rest. And what's really freaking them out is that these little guys are actually an insect species. They're about as big, maybe a little bit bigger than maybe your f- arm. And they're zipping around on these little gravity sleds, uh, so they don't they don't actually walk around, and, and they're just flying all over the place. And I'm assuming that it's the zipping around that's causing them to uh, make the other crew nervous. Anyways, uh, as more and more of the crew are being diagnosed with this BBQ phobia, the sick bay is filled and out of beds. Meanwhile, Kirk is concerned with uh, with all the people becoming sick that there won't be enough people to run the ship. While the rest of the crew is going crazy, the engineering team, however, is getting along quite well with the BBQs, and uh, and the reason why is because the Beaks, as they're also called, are renowned for their scientific developments for miniaturizing technology, so they're actually suggesting improvements that Scotty can use to make the Enterprise better. So, concerned about the rest of the crew, Kirk and McCoy visit a onboard alienologist that they have for this mission named uh, Mernet. Uh, they find Mernet in the cargo hold watching over the BBQ guys, and also he's watching to see if anybody's smuggling a illegal substance called Thebe. Theep. And the reason why he's looking for it is because he's really not an alienologist. He's really some sort of undercover security guy that's that's trying to find who's smuggling this thief, which is actually some sort of corrosive acid type thing. But it can also be used by the ferrith people as a stimulant that causes them to have increased strength and uncontrolled rage, which just happens to be the, the species that Myrnat is. So as he's watching these people scurry around the uh, cargo bay, we see a woman who's named Lucy think to herself, Mike and I have to get this stuff out of here. So there is indeed some smugglers aboard. We find out that Mike, her partner, is actually uh, working in engineering. So she uh, contacts Mike, and they uh, want to create a little diversion to get everybody's attention away from the cargo hold so that they can move the container of Thiep. The distraction comes in the form of a all-out barroom brawl. So the engineers and the cargo team are fighting. They say that it's because the BBQs are annoying the cargo team, and the engineer team really like them, so that caused the big fight. So Kirk is able to stop the fight, and he contacts Mermet to come to the um, lunchroom, or mess hall, or whatever it's called, to help mediate the... Um, the bbq phobia thing that's going on uh once he's out of the cargo room lucy and mike grab the container they start to put it into a a storage locker of some sort there in engineering but they're caught by another crewman named pete mike offers him uh, a cut of the loot and pete reluctantly agrees to keep his mouth shut that he saw the the container so kirk is in the middle of Disciplining the fighting crew members when he's called to the bridge because there is a Kazanti warship approaching. Uh, so, when Kirk arrives to the bridge and he attempts communications with the Kazanti, which the Kazanti is just ignoring, the Kazanti leader, uh, which I don't know if it ever actually says his name because they don't get named until they've earned it, but uh, he's basically just called the captain. So, come to find out, the Kazanti are not supposed to have weapons on their ships due to a previous treaty. This ship obviously does have it. So, Kirk contacts the Kazanti leadership, who disavows knowing anything about this warship, and actually suggests that the Enterprise should destroy it, uh, because obviously they're pirates. So, on board the warship, the leader orders his telepath so kind of like a Counselor Troy thing, to read the minds of all the Enterprise crew. And as he starts to do so, the crew starts feeling the mental pressure, and it actually causes them pain. He is able to get enough out of everybody to know that the ship's full of the BBQs and that they are heading to Mimit to check on that colony. During all of this, unbeknownst to everybody, the container of Thiep, that is inside of the storage locker springs a leak and starts eating away at the ship, damaging some circuitry that's used for the shields. Meanwhile, the Kazanti start to prepare the fire, their new all-powerful weapon called the Hamstringer, uh, which was created by the BBQ slaves that they have on board. Uh, they're intent on destroying the Enterprise in order, like I said, to make a name for themselves, so they can't get a name until they do this. So as the Enterprise starts to speed away, the Kazanti fire. The attack hits the unprotected Enterprise, knocking out its artificial gravity. With the crew floating around and unable to function, the Kazanti come in for the kill and start to attack at point-blank range. As the attacks rip through the Enterprise, Kirk orders Sulu to warp 10, and they're able to outrun the the Kazanti warship. Back on the warship, the Kazanti, who can't keep up with the speeding Enterprise, calls their fleet that's in orbit of Mimit. So it sounds like they're already on the planet that the Enterprise is heading to. All right, so the Enterprise gets its gravity back on. They find the thief, and a full investigation ensues to try to find the smugglers. Meanwhile, Mike and Lucy are freaking out because they're about to get caught, and it's a death penalty-type crime. They also say that they have another stash of theep aboard, and when Mike goes to check on it, Pete again finds him, accuses him of holding out on him, and they start a big fight uh, with Lucy watching from the shadows, not knowing that Mermat is actually following her, and he sees the fight. So as Pete and Mike are fighting it out, and the thief starts leaking all over the transporter circuits this time. So, while all this is going on, the Enterprise approaches Myrnat and are unable to contact the BBQ colonists. Kirk and Lieutenant Latham create a landing party, and just as they're about to beam down, Kirk and Ahura get a message from Murnat that the uh, other thief container is leaking onto the transporter circuits, and just being that close to the thief is causing Mernat to lose control. Because like I said earlier, this drug, basically makes them extremely strong and go into like a blind rage. Spock's able to stop the landing party from beaming down because he knows that because the thief is leaking in the transporter, it would have killed them. Security and McCoy are able to sedate the enraged Murnat, but they're not able to break up the fight between Mike and Pete before they're actually caught up in some sort of transporter beam due to the malfunction and they're beamed off into space. With the transporters down, the landing party takes a unique-looking shuttle from the ship, and they're heading down towards the planet. This ship actually looks just like the warp sled without the actual shuttle part on it, or a very, very small shuttle part. And I don't really know why they need the warp sled to get to the planet, but anyways. As they're approaching the surface, they're swarmed by Kazanti starfighters. An attack ensues between the Kazanti fleet and the Enterprise. At first, the shuttle is ignored completely, but eventually it's hit and causes it to to crash on the surface. Uh, As the crew are unconscious and the BBQs aboard are trying to revive them, the crashed shuttle is attacked by a lumbering monster. The monster just rips through the hole and is about to eat Kirk when four or five of the BBQs are able to actually pick up a phaser rifle and shoot the monster. They do shoot him on stun, so he's only knocked out. Back in space Spock informs the captain of uh, what's happening with the attack. The original Kazanti warship is on its way and it starts to prepare to fire the hamstringer again. Uh, however, all the rest of the fleet that's attacking the Enterprise cannot bring down its shields and Spock's able to take them out pretty pretty easily one at a time. Uh, did I tell you this one was long? So the ground forces, the Kazanti ground forces that are in their headquarters they send out an, a landing party towards the crash shuttle. As as they start to leave, BBQs that are there, the slaves uh, are able to. They decide that now's the time to revolt. So they're going to take this opportunity to free themselves from their Kazanti captors. The BBBQs sabotage the land vehicles' fuel lines so that the Kazanti will have a won't be able to make it to the shuttle all that quickly. And they actually beamed themselves over to the shuttle to explain what's happened to the planet, to Kirk and the away team there, what's been going on for the last 15 years. So it seems that the first survey team of the BBQs did not notice that there was a species called the Ravengers. The species was hibernating at the time, so they went ahead and started setting up the colony. When the Ravengers awoke, they basically started eating the colonists. And just as the BBQs are about to be completely wiped out by these Ravengers, the Kazanti a Kazanti hunting party comes down and saves the little guys. Okay. But their saviors soon turn into tormentors as the Kazanti enslave the colony and force them to help create miniature weapons similar to the hamstringer. So the BBQ finish uh, actually the BBQ start beaming the away team back to the Kazanti headquarters just as the Kazanti ground forces arrive at the shuttle and when they arrive the ravenger that was stunned earlier awakes and starts to attack them back at the headquarters of the Kazanti Kirk gets the info he needs on how to stop the hamstringer from the BBQs and uh, he actually contacts Spock to let him know how to, how to stop it. And basically what it is is the hamstringer is very taxing on the dilithium crystals. So they think that if they can just wait out a few hits that the, uh, the, the device will just run out of power. The contact with Spock actually causes the Kazanti to know that they're there in the building. And they start to start a search party within, within the building to find him. <laughs> as the kazanti are searching for kirk the land party or the group forces that went to the shuttle arrive they're all bloody and beat up because of the ravenger and come to find out that they've left a blood trail all the way to headquarters that the a huge migration of ravengers is now following as soon as they get to the base the ravengers start just to destroy it and get inside and start killing the uh, kazanti so the, the BBQ on the planet are able to contact the BBQ on the Kazanti ship, and they're able to beam the, the BBQs off the ship and beam some of the Ravagers onto the ship. The Ravengers on the ship just start destroying everything, uh, including the Hamstringer weapon. The captain of the Kazanti ship refuses to surrender to Kirk. Eventually, the last few Kazanti on the planet escaping uh, in their last ship beam the remainder of the crew to their ship, just as the the original ship is destroyed, we see a nice little shot of the Kazanti captain vowing that he and Kirk will meet again someday, and that's the end. So, is anybody still listening? <laughs> what? Because that was a. Long, oh yes, yes. That yes. was a of long. Of course. One. <laughs> that was a long one. And that, that was abridged. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Majorly abridged. And it was still very long. Yes. So, anyways, overall, I thought it was a good one. What'd you think? I think, as far as the comics go, I think this is one of the best ones.
1: Which it's the comic strip. So, I mean, as far as the comic strips are concerned, it's one of the better ones. But especially at first, I was put off by the whole B B B I mean, give them points for creativity. Their names or the the little guys in them. In period. Them. Period. Their names. Their period. Their little uh, anti-gravity sleds. They're riding around. Their little mini roller coaster antics around everybody's head on the ship. I mean, it's just they're just out there. It's like
0: wow. Yeah, I, These are I weird. I, I liked them. I didn't like their name, and I didn't like no. how all the crew is not able to deal with it, and that they need to go to. Sick bay. A, a, a sick bay. <laughs> that was a little ridiculous. But if you had these little
1: guys buzzing around your head all the time because 'cause they're afraid of getting stepped on. So they they like to be up around your head and for some other reason that nobody explains in the book, they feel like they've got to be constantly moving around like but like bees buzzing around your head or something. It's just like it's just it's just weird. It's just just weird. It's 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 creative. Yeah. So I I kinda like that and I, and the idea that you know, that you've always, the intelligent alien races always have to be, like, eh, more or less our size, and two legs, and two arms, and mammals, you know, of some form, whether they're cat heads or whatever. You know, I kind of like that they went so different. I mean, you can do that with a comic book. It's hard to do it with a with a TV or movie.
0: Right. I mean, they did that a little bit with um, Star Trek Enterprise. Not not yeah. with the buzzing around and stuff, but they did have an, an insect species the Zindi had the, an insect species
1: Yeah but those were like full size Yeah they were full size I mean, they, but... they were about the same size as people
0: Right but I just liked how they weren't human shaped
1: Yes The Zindi were now. The Z... Yes There were aspects of the Zindi That were very interesting
0: I mean, But again but I would yeah. think that the crew Of the Enterprise would be professional Enough not to be That upset about These little guys Yeah, yeah that is kind of ridiculous I agree with and that. there's a ton of them. Oh, they're insects. Well, that's what I was wondering. Are they procreating on the voyage? Because this also seems like a really long flight.
1: <laughs> I don't know. And that is the other thing is, I mean, usually small critters, they tend to not live long and, you know, be like, kind of like tribalike like in their pro, uh, duplicative proclivities. Right. Um,. And so yeah, so
0: I didn't know. I mean, it's been 15 years since this other colony was was, since they lost contact with that colony, right? For an insect, that would be hundreds of generations.
1: Yes, you'd think so, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. And 15 years seems a really long time to wait before you start going to check on them.
1: Exactly. It's like, I mean, they got warp drive, don't they? I mean,
0: well, obviously do they have not. Ships? They had the bummer ride from Starfleet.
1: Well, okay, but the. Okay, and that seems inconsistent to me. I mean, if these guys are so good at making stuff, I mean, they seem to be great engineers and miniaturization, all that kind of stuff, wouldn't you think they'd be able to make their own ships?
0: Yeah, and they seem to be really well off. I mean, it keeps talking about how financially important this species is. you think that they could have rented a shuttle or something.
1: (laughs) Buy a ship! You know, there's probably an old mothballed
0: Constitution class ship that they could probably buy cheap. Come on, Oh, there you go. One that was decommissioned in the war games or something.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> Rather than
1: using it for target practice, sell it to those guys. They're so smart.
0: All right. Hey, so real quick, uh, when I was started this, I talked about how Kirk and Scotty are having a interesting conversation. Um, oh, at the beginning. Yeah. Let me just <laughs> let me just read exactly what Kirk is saying to Scotty. Yes, without, yes. Without... Of course you you
1: take it the wrong way
0: It's but... com- There's no context To put it in It's just Kirk and uh, this is how it starts off Kirk and Scotty are sitting there And <laughs> Kirk turns to Scotty And says Scotty I know this little uh, <laughs> This little out of the way place Scotty I know this little out of the way place Where we could And then he's cut off by Ahura saying Sir priority message from Starfleet <laughs> What was he going to say uh,
1: you know, I I kind of wonder here and maybe some other places whether their authors were kind of messing with us a little bit. You know, doing little things, little things like that. Because I, I I forgot where the other spot was, but there was something else, some some off the wall reference made later in the comic. It was like, what? What? <laughs> What's the point of that? Are they just trying to mess with us?
0: Yeah, yeah, I just don't. I mean, because it's so out of context, it's just one sentence that you have yeah. no beginning or end or what what he's actually talking about. It just causes more confusion as to yeah. – I mean they're, they're – they just ended that whole conflict with the Lyra's people. Right. So I mean, I don't know if that's supposed to be some sort of reference to that or they're just wanting shore leave again because that seems well, to be a common, I, yeah, common uh, uh-huh. plot line.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they they were talking about yeah. Were they talking about having a well-deserved
0: shore leave, and then they were redirected to do this yeah, this thing? Didn't they just have one a couple of weeks ago when they all became slaves by the uh, no by the little guys? Yeah, I remember the uh, the almost Ferengi kind of guys. Yeah, the ones that took over Kirk's ship and yep. Captain Morgan and, and actually enslaved them for many days, maybe even weeks. Yeah, a good long time. I mean, that was yeah. that was a relaxing short leave, so I don't know. <laughs> what are they complaining about here? I don't know what they're talking about. Anyways, that just seems like a pretty common plot device for these stories.
1: Yes, it does. <laughs> and, and then and then the part that it follows up, so the, so the one panel does what you were talking about. Scotty, I know this little out-of-the-way planet where we could... Priority message. And then the next panel says, the fun never around, ends around here, does it, Scotty? No, Captain. So eh, what kind of fun are they talking about? Yeah, so March
0: March first, 1982 was a head-scratcher because, I mean, those are the two panels that came out in that newspaper that day. I think I would be wondering what – does it make sense? I would be I thinking I must have missed something.
1: All right. I agree.
0: Anyways, it's just comical.
1: Yeah, I was kind of lo- trying to look around a little bit for that other place where it seemed like they were like maybe messing with us a little bit, having a little fun with us.
0: All right. So while you're doing that...
1: Oh, it's a long comic. I'm not looking any longer.
0: Yeah, okay. Let me just give you a little bit of what I know about the Kazanti uh, because okay. they are from Star Trek the Animated Series. Uh, there was an episode called The Slaver Weapon, which was written by Larry Niven. Uh-huh. And oh, the... so he tied this into
1: this? Yes.
0: So the interesting thing about that story is that's actually an adaptation of a novel or short story that he wrote called The Warriors, which was mm-hmm. not tied into Star Trek at all. It was right. part of his he has a series called The Known Space. Uh-huh. So when he came on to do an episode of Star Trek the animated series, he just took one of his existing stories, replaced a few people with with Star Trek people and create and and the episode was created <laughs> with the Kazanti being this cat-like people and uh things like that. Huh. So I just think it's really interesting that this Kazanti species didn't even originate from Star Trek. It was really and maybe the only time a species or storyline was literally taken from another Universe type thing and, and adapt it right. to Star trek huh so so maybe
1: conservation of energy huh conservation of energy take take one story and mess with it, but still it it lives on kind of like you can't destroy energy there you go I gotcha,
0: so anyways, I thought that was interesting that um and and obviously Larry Niven uh, came in and I don't know how much he wrote of this, but he is considered a co-author of this story. Right. And there was talk at one point of doing a animated movie. I bet you didn't know about this. Didn't know. At one point, they were going to do an animated movie based on Demora Sulu's captaincy of the Enterprise B. And it was going to be the Enterprise B a war with them and the Kazanti so they were going to bring them back for that animated movie. Oh. But uh, that was kind of towards the the Enterprise era of Star Trek when things were kind of dying down a little bit and never got actually made. So, just little little interesting tidbit about that species.
1: Now, now this car- this captain Sulu you say? No, that that's Cap- the daughter? That's yeah. the
0: mother? I mean what No, it was the, the, the daughter. Yeah, she's the Helmsman in Inter- on oh, generations. Right. So okay, at right. one point she becomes okay. captain o- when Harriman steps down.
1: Oh, interesting. Don't
0: you know your expanded universe lore? Hell no. Dude. No. No. Yeah, she Sorry. Be- she becomes captain of the Enterprise B.
1: Well good for her. Yeah. Good so, for her. Her dad
0: never became captain of the Enterprise.
1: No but i think he had some pretty cool ship to captain yeah they that looks just like the enterprise b uh excelsior class eh yeah so enterprise b i mean it is 100% spot on uh an excelsior class ship
0: yeah it's an excelsior class ship
1: hmm. okay
0: i mean they might have I, they might have I just, the model a little bit but i don't i don't know where they would have it looks just like the normal excelsior class ship
1: well i don't remember many long shots of it at the beginning of generations
0: mm, well they show it they show it mostly in close ups yeah but they show as it I flying recall. around a little bit yeah yeah it's it, they use the same the same model they did for um generations i mean not generations um star trek 6 okay they just slapped a different name on it and star trek 3 Yep, Star Trek three had it, and yeah. I guess it, okay, it never was in Star Trek it.
1: five. I don't remember them having it, but so anyways... yeah, because it, it's definitely parts of it. Definitely the, the saucer section and the portion that connects the saucer section to the engineering section. Hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just don't remember the rest of the ship, uh, you know, the nacelles, the back of the engineering section, that kind of stuff as much. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure it's there. Cool. Okay. So I thought the, uh, the Starfleet space manual sections at the beginning of some of the Sunday installments, right. I thought was helpful, unexpected but helpful mechanism to uh, bring the reader up to speed on a few things that would be awkward to try to explain in the story as the storyline
0: progresses. Right. You, you do know that those first two panels was filler, because depending on how your Sunday paper was laid out, uh-huh. you either got the horizontal view or a vertical view. Um, yeah. The scans that we're looking at is the vertical view that had the extra two panels, right. but if your Sunday paper was laid out differently, you would have not had those, Right. which, which I thought now, was
1: interesting. Which is not the first time they've done that, or not the first time we've seen that. Right. There was a comic strip before, but I will say that the comic strip before that did it, they were kind of weak. They're just general things that showed, hey, this is a phaser, or you know, uh, where this thing they were actually giving you more, more information on the b uh, b b b b cues and yeah. that kind of stuff.
0: Right. And then there, towards the end, it it acted as more of a, uh, as uh, sometimes it was just recapping what happened. The week, the the episode before. Oh right, so it wasn't the uh,
1: the Starfleet manual thing or whatever.
0: Yeah, but uh, no, I
1: agree with you. I liked it. Yeah, I particularly thought the one that was talking about life support was kind of interesting. Oh, really, that I really. Every time
0: that was the part. I, that was the one I didn't like.
1: <laughs> well, I, I thought it was interesting because it took it in a direction that I. I just didn't think that the Enterprise worked this way. So it tried to say that the Enterprise life support system is actually, rather than being something ran by power and uh, you know CO2 scrubbers and all technology, it's making it sound like uh, there's high, huge amounts of hydroponic sections mm-hmm. that are in some kind of a what what's that experimental thing down near tucson arizona uh biosphere. biosphere right right where where they have the people and they have a, sh- a bunch of plants and they got their own little um you know co2 conversion and Right, And oxygen conversion, all that, like like an ecosystem, yeah, uh, a biological ecosystem, and I never thought the Enterprise worked that way at all. So it was kind of interesting to see them at least put the idea out there well, in this thing.
0: Yeah, that that idea actually came from Star Trek the Motion Picture. Because if you look at the Enterprise, the new Enterprise, yeah. Yeah. you'll see there in engineering, there's like little blue windows, um, and those little blue windows is supposed to be the um. Hypoponic section
1: Oh, how interesting. So that's what I this is A, a little picture of
0: So yeah next time you look at one of your Models or um, a picture Of the Enterprise you'll see like There's these four blue squares There in the engineering section And that's what that is Supposed to be
1: My, uh, my Enterprise From that from the motion picture Is Pewter I can't look that up I'll look
0: for a picture Yeah
1: Cool. So the actual blue on the hull indicates, hey, this is the hydroponic section.
0: Well, it's supposed to be a little open window that's uh-huh. shining into the <clears throat> hydroponic section, which is has a lot of water and, and right. grass, I guess. I don't know. But no, I thought it was interesting, and it didn't really serve anything for the story, but no. some of them did, though, like the first ones where it was actually explaining the BBQs. Yeah, the rocket sleds. It, yeah, not only that, but it talked about the markings on their abdomens to right. denote rank. Yep. Never <laughs> in the story does it ever talk about that until the very end, when the slave BBQs see the markings that were of the BBQ on the um, with Kirk, and right. they're like, "Oh, you're the Grand Chancellor." Right. And I was just like,
1: "We're not worthy." <laughs>
0: But that's the first time that that's happened in the story where something that was, you know, on day one of the comic strip never ever referenced again, and then, you know, three months later, they're making (laughs) reference to it. Exactly. Which I thought was interesting. Right.
1: And there's another one in Starfleet Pharmacological Handbook. Number three, illegal drugs. Thiep being the particular illegal drug it's
0: talking about. It's some bad stuff, too. Yeah.
1: And speaking of Thiep, if it's that corrosive, couldn't you put it in some kind of magnetic uh, containment field within a container? I mean, you've got matter, maddie, matter, antimatter kept separate and then mixed by use of, at least I think it's magnetic, uh, fields and that kind of stuff being manipulated like that. And it's like, ah, uh, Couldn't you, like, work that into some kind of a container to keep it... Uh, keep it contained. Eh, just a thought. Yeah, I I hear you. But then it couldn't uh spread out and uh and hit sensitive transporters and engine engineering parts twice. Yeah, exactly. Twice. Very convenient timing. Inconvenient. You, you Well, it's convenient for the uh <laughs> the for the Kazin.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're actually pretty cool looking. They're very feline looking. Very. Except that they stand up and they've got, like, human bodies that are furry. Very and muscular human bodies. Yes. Yeah, the Kazanti that are in the animated series, uh, they are not nearly... As buff? Yeah. They're kind of roundish. Hmm. And purple. And pink. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> so you, you should look them up if you haven't watched that episode. Since you, since you said rounded,
1: could I segue to something? Sure. Or are you still going to? No, I'm done. Okay. So uh, there is a big brawl that is uh, triggered, as you had mentioned. And during this brawl, there are interesting uh, variety of people involved in the brawl. There's one scene where there's this, this, this big muscular Superman kind of guy who's holding another crewman over his head, getting ready to throw him. So obviously that guy is pretty big and uh and strong. Then a few panels later at near the end of the fight, there's another guy who is looks incredibly fat and bald in a Starfleet uniform, uh, as in part of the fight. And it's like, Wow. They got the Superman guy and they got another guy that kinda looks like Alfred Hitchcock or something. And I thought that I, I thought those were kind of areas they were kind of like maybe messing with people and seeing if people were paying attention and stuff.
0: Now where's the bald guy? Because I see the Superman looking guy. Okay.
1: So what about what page
0: is that on? it um, that be easier
1: for me to zoom in on it? 14. 14. 14. And of course we're saying 14. Okay. 14. Wow, that's, that's down. Fight, 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 fight. It, it's, it's towards the end of the fight. So I'm going to continue to look while you... Oh, know.
0: okay. It's the very next panel. Yeah, it, right. Where the guys say, "Hey, you guys, cut that out." <laughs> uh, you're going to be in trouble. But yeah, you're oh, right. Lord. He looks like he's wearing like a a, a Moomoo or something. <laughs> <laughs> a Starfleet uniform Moomoo. <laughs> yeah, and,
1: and and the Starfleet uniforms are not known for people unless you got the figure for it. You know, you got the shape for it. And uh, these guys definitely. That particular guy does not. And that's why, you know, you started seeing Scotty in his own special uniform. Hey now. After he picked up some weight. That's an engineering uniform and it's it serves <laughs> a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, hold on, I'm not talking about the radiation suits. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm talking about like the uh like the like the jumpsuit kind of whatever thing he was wearing, like in the later movies.
0: I thought he was wearing the normal Wrath of Khan uniform. <sighs> No. No. No, 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 no.
1: Okay. No, he, he he had his own... Well, okay. I, I want to speak for every moment of every late movie, but Scotty had his own kind of outfit that was a little reminiscent of what we saw again in that uh, IDW episode of uh, the parallel right. dimensions and stuff or whatever. mm. Yeah. Anyway, so he had his special uniforms, and uh, and James Duan is known for saying uh, in an interview, uh, you know, when they're talking about getting back with uh, with the movies, uh, I hope they do something about the uniforms because I don't really have the shape for them anymore.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. That's
0: funny. He got his own. He got his own. I'll have to go back and rewatch it because uh, I thought he always wore the either the engineering uniform or the normal Wrath of Khan uniform. And then in three and four, he's obviously wearing something different because none of them are yeah. wearing their their normal uniforms. Yeah, but uh, I'll go back and rewatch it one of these days. Do that. Do that. So, talking about the artwork, uh, what do you think about Murnet? Mermint, What however you say his name, Mur-
1: Thurman Merman? Yeah, I thought he was fine. I mean, he had these huge eyes, so he used he looked a little bit like a um. I don't know, maybe a stereotypical alien type with these huge eyes, but I I like the character.
0: Yeah, and his face, overall, his face looked normal, you know, human proportioned except for his eyes.
1: Well, and his cheeks were a little weird too. But yeah, well, they had to
0: hold in those big gigantic eyes.
1: Exactly, huge eye sockets. But I, yeah, I, I really and, and dug he it. reminded me. I thought it looked cool. Cool. Yeah, he reminded me a little bit of Odo. Personality-wise, like, uh, yes. Right. He seemed like uh, an old-fashioned, focused cop who, you know, he was focusing on those thief runners and going to get them.
0: Yeah, now, if you you have a drug that's only going to affect (laughs) one species, would it be the best idea for Starfleet to send a guy of that species to try to find it?
1: Exactly, especially when he knows when he finds it. If he's exposed to it, he's going to become uh, an
0: aggressive lunatic. Yeah, right? he's going to turn into the Hulk and start killing people. Yeah, let's <laughs> take him on it. Everybody else is immune to this drug except for you. Yeah, you're the best person to go look for. <laughs> you go get it. <laughs> I agree. That was odd. Yeah.
1: But they did want to have a um, a Fereth. I mean, it was it's a Fereth problem. Right. So I think they wanted a fa- uh One of those people to go after it makes sense. Anyway, but yeah, that 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 did at first it made perfect sense why it was there and stuff, and then at the end when he goes nuts, so I I had the same thought as you.
0: So to take a step back, um, when the artificial gravity is knocked out due to the hamstringers attack, Mm -hmm. um, is the artificial gravity tied into the inertial dampeners? (laughs) <laughs> 'Cause I always thought they were connected.
1: That's a very good point. And yeah. I, mean, I don't I don't I don't know whether they are or not, but you don't want to be doing warp 10 and not have inertial dampers.
0: But they're they they do not have gravity and they're doing warp uh-huh. ten. Yeah. So I mean if gravity is truly I mean if they're if they don't have gravity that's sticking them to the floor, then I would assume that they wouldn't have the inertial dampeners to keep them from spidering against the walls. Well,
1: yeah, but yeah, well, well, the whole inertial dampener thing is just a, 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 a magical piece of mirth. I mean, it's like, how would that? How would inertial dampeners really work? And, and would they really not work if because it doesn't stick your feet to the floor? I mean, that's, I mean, that, that can't be the way it works, because otherwise your <laughs> your body would come away from your feet, you know, when you're
0: hit to the left when you're going at warp one. Right. Like, I, I always kind of thought of it as that it, it somehow counteracts whatever forces are being applied to the ship. So if well, the ship is moving yeah. forward, then it's applying equal force backwards. And exact,
1: exactly, and it must it must react immediately. I mean, split second.
0: Right, and that's why when they get hit by something, they they get jostled and they fall to the ground, but they don't get splattered to the to the sides. <laughs> But, but, if you really had inertial dampeners, would you be knocked to the ground? Yeah, because it didn't have time to compensate that's That's when you surprise it. Oh good Lord, that's why when they're <laughs> speeding up, they don't fall to the ground, but if they suddenly get hit by something, it jostles it around, and the and the inertial dampeners don't have time to kick in uh. Yeah, that must be Like it. I said, that's just my reasoning so that I can... Uh, just <laughs> can justify yeah. the impossible thing that is inertial dampeners. Exactly.
1: Yeah, they're handy to have. I mean, you'd need something like that, but...
0: Yeah, better than hole plating or whatever. they they. In Star Trek Enterprise, they, they call it something different like polarizing the hull or something like that or was that well, the shield I, that was I, just for shields never yeah that was yeah that was the replacement of not having shields but now there now... was that little sweet spot there on the enterprise where you would actually float up to the top because of the gravity not not reaching that far yeah or something yeah i,
1: I remember that i remember that so they had a little episode where somebody some character uh, took advantage of that, or yeah, what? it
0: was in the very first episode. Mayweather, uh, and he he makes a comment. Yeah, every ship has its little sweet spot. Uh huh,
1: <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, that's
0: good. But I don't think they ever did. They ever did anything with it again? Hmm. I think it was kind of like the Da Vinci holodeck thing that they made for Star Trek Voyager, where they thought that they would use that set, you know, kind of as an ongoing thing, but then it didn't go over very well so they just did it like once or to- twice and then it was like eh, let's just forget about it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh where he, I mean where she actually goes and sees Da Vinci. Yeah, that was supposed to be yeah. like an ongoing thing that she would have this Da Vinci mentor, holographic mentor to help her. Right. But it didn't go over very well so like he shows up twice and then and that's they it. <laughs> that was John Ray's Davies. Oh, playing Da Vinci, right?
1: I think. Cool. I did not know that. You know, it's funny when you go back to these old episodes of Star Trek and see some of these uh, these successful actors that might have done
0: uh, less impressive things earlier in their career. In Star Trek, you mean like Clint Howard being that little random alien in the Corbinite maneuver? <laughs> I mean, that's Clint Howard Super famous Clint Howard
1: Yes Who, who has been in so many fine movies exactly. um, That his brother directed um, So that's pretty much the only place you see him anymore But, yeah Clint Howard <laughs>
0: But no, I totally Clint get what Howard. you're saying
1: Mr. Tranya <laughs> uh,
0: Oh well, I think I've already told you the story About how I figured out that that was Clint Howard So I won't go into it again you did, and then I followed up with that story about him being in Andy Griffith's show,
1: being the peanut butter and jelly kid. Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: right. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention that again. Yeah, let's just let's keep going. Let's just leave it alone. Uh, I really only have one other comment, and that's the Kazanti ships. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of liked them. I did too. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, looking at
1: it, it, it reminds. It, it's yet okay. So this is my take on it. It's another it's another ship that looks like a bird of prey, which is pretty cool. But then, because it, it looks like it's got the like it's got it's got the talon or it's got the the, 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 the beaky kind of middle part that's coming forward, and then it looks like it's got a two clawed talons on the side, which I guess that's where the engines are. But then I saw that they're 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 big cat kind of people, mm-hmm. so it's like, well, what are they making a bird? looking ship for but see whatever. i didn't see the bird i, I, I thought good.
0: it was a cat
1: well cat okay well, okay so let, let me take a look at it again cuz that was confusing i was thinking to myself well okay so it looked like a bird to me at first but okay is it supposed to be like a like like a claw or something a, a yeah, cat's claw i think it's
0: supposed to be i mean obviously it has the little wing part which which cats don't have wings usually that, but you know. uh but if you look at the nacelles, it has like two claws on the front and then two claws in the back. And I kind of pictured it as being the front and back leg of a cat. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of like a cat leaping, but like with, uh-huh. with a little cape on or whatever to act as wings. With, with, with a cape,
1: <laughs> cats have capes. And then and then the head looking kind of like a curved down beak. Yeah, you're right. Which it, it, many cats have. It
0: doesn't. That doesn't quite look right.
1: It well i have an alternative uh interpretation all right go well i think i said oh, it. oh okay ago. i mean because <laughs> if you look at the look at the sides of it i mean it looks like it's sweeping out into like like wings the the two middle nacelle cell things looks like talons and then definitely the middle part coming forward in front of the deflector dish looks like uh i don't know it looks like like a beaked head yeah that's, i see it that's how that's how i interpret it but yeah, no, I totally see what you're saying. Whatever it's supposed to be, it looks cool.
0: Right. And, and I lied. I do have one other thing, which I meant to say earlier, The uh, about uh-huh. Murnett, however you say his name. Okay. You think he, that species or whatever he is, uh, Farith, you think that's the same species that that woman nurse that helped birth Jeff uh-huh. Kirk is? No. No? Because they kind of have... Eyes are different. Eyes are different. Yeah, maybe
1: females have smaller eyes. Yeah, cuz she she really did look human like. I mean, she had black hair kind of like a human. And really the only thing weird about her as I recall was the weird big almond-shaped eyes, right? But this guy, he's got more stuff going on that does not quite look human. I I think. But who knows, maybe.
0: Maybe. No, I don't think it's supposed to be. I'm I'm really reaching here, but Oh, okay. I just Good. We'll probably cut that part out. No no, no
1: no that's fine I've got another thing quick one um, if if Thiep is so corrosive how can the Ferreth people ingest it
0: I don't think they have to ingest or do it they I mean, ingest they just it. smell it because he goes crazy just smelling it yeah
1: okay good point good point all I have to do is smell it okay
0: but yeah it doesn't make sense the it being so corrosive that it just boils out mm-hmm. and eats through the ship
1: well it's kind of ha- handy if you want to have the uh, ship disabled a few times
0: Right, it is.
1: To make it more in- things more interesting.
0: Yeah, but, you know, poor Pete and Mike, they uh, they just get beamed off into space. Well, so nobody gets to take advantage of the thief.
1: Exactly. Well, they're kind of jerks anyway. I mean, the one guy's obviously a jerk because he's a smuggler trying to do it for the money. I mean, what's, what's the deal here? Starfleet crewmen officers are supposed to be squeaky clean. Okay, look at the hair. And then this other guy is like... Um, Oh well, okay. Not only am I going to go along with this to get my cut of the pie, but at the end I'm going to have such a feeling of vengeance that you try to screw me out of something that I'm going to beat you until we both die. <laughs> you know. Those guys really don't seem like Starfleet material to me.
0: Cuz he's like they're trying to push each other into the spilling out thief so that it'll burn burn the other yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, they're they're going all out. They are. But they get their just desserts. Oh, they do! It shows them being. It actually shows their bodies starting to materialize out in deep space. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't show them like explode shortly after. Yeah. But uh, I guess you didn't really need to see that.
1: No. Well, another thing I just noticed is the um, the Talon ship, which is what what is that the the, the destroyer of giants or something? What was yeah, the, the was giant it? killer. Giant killer. That's it. The Giant Killer, actually, its crippling uh, superweapon is coming out of what I thought was the deflector dish. Interesting. So I misinterpreted what that part was.
0: Hmm. I thought that was the, the actual weapon itself. I didn't think they had a deflector dish.
1: Well, how can you go warp drive without a deflector dish? I mean, you, you need have a deflector dish to get all the stuff out of your way. Because okay. even if you hit a bit of space dust, when you're going warp one or two... It's going to rip right through your hull. Like butter? Like butter. (laughs) Like butter. You need deflector. You you need a deflector dish going out in front of you. Mm. I mean, Voyager has... I mean, every... Well, everyone I can think of, anyway. All the uh, Starfleet ships have one.
0: Starfleet, yes, but Klingons don't.
1: Well, you know, that's an interesting point. Um... They definitely have the torpedo launcher coming out of the uh, the front of the ship, but well, okay. So how do they do it? How do they get around not having a uh, a deflector shield on front? They do. Or do they just just do it in a different way? What are you saying? They're more technologically advanced, so they can hide their dish easier. Sure, let's
0: say that. Okay. (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. That it, it, it bugs me. Well, when we get there in the future, I'll ask. Yes. Yeah, excuse, you, excuse me, yeah. Mr. Klingon, scientist guy.
1: <laughs> excuse, me, excuse me, Mr. Klingon. How can you drive at warp drive without a deflector shield? Can you tell me that,
0: please? Man, you do a spot-on imitation of me, man. That's not Scary. you. Scary.
1: That's, that's, that's half of the guys I saw in Star Trek conventions asking questions. I've still never been to one.
0: Really? I've never Oh come on. I've never been to a you, Star Trek You you
1: have never been to a Star Trek convention.
0: I've never been. I've been to Star I've Wars been, a couple I've been to like
1: 3 of the 3 3 uh Star Trek ones. And were they all awesome?
0: <clears throat> uh no. But uh they're good enough. They're cool. Yeah. I do want to go, but I don't know. They they they're never at a convenient place for me at a convenient time. Damn it!
1: Damn a drum.
0: I went to one in um,
1: in Australia once, but it was not a Star Trek convention. It was a sci-fi uh, convention that had a big emphasis on Babylon Five, oddly enough.
0: Oh really? Yes.
1: And they actually had um, the chick fr- the main chick from Babylon Five. What's her name? Um, I forgot her name. Um, but she was the alien that turned human. Oh, I've to, never, uh, I've never seen Babylon Five. Oh, that's right. It came out the same time as Deep Space Nine, and you could only have one, uh, one TV sci-fi series with a space station at a time. Exactly,
0: because I, I, in my short-sightedness, thought that Babylon Five was just copying Star Trek, so I didn't even want to give it. A
1: chance. Uh, they came out at the same time, man. I know, but okay. doesn't matter. There you go. So, Donovan, can we do the what's new in sci-fi? Because we are an hour and 35 minutes in
0: Yeah, I know. I saw that. Uh, we don't have anything. Don't. We are... Nothing else came out this month. Ah, February 1981. Really? Ah. Okay. So we'll reconvene uh, for episode 34 yes which will be Marvel number 12 and comic strip number 13 excellent so please come back join us for episode 13 it will be shorter than than this story <laughs> I promise yeah yes but definitely in our defense
1: it's a long strip but we did go overboard.
0: Yeah, and, and Strip 13 is actually a continuation of Strip 12, so this story is technically not over yet. Uh-huh, really? It wow. was kind of a two-parter, except it didn't have the cliffhanger ending that the last one did. Uh-huh. Something to look forward to. I am, with bated breath. All right. Until then, take care, everybody. Bye, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review Let's get the hell out of here